Before we begin studying tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Before I begin, I've had a cough for a few days, and it's almost gone, for which I'm glad. But if I cough a few times tonight, I apologize in advance. And uh, especially to those who are listening on, listening on podcast, the microphone tends to accentuate a cough. You know, so keep your volume turned down low when you're listening to this a little later, and you won't be troubled, I hope. This week, we're reading from Torah and from the scriptures about some really important events, but unusual events in the life of Jacob. And I want to start by looking at Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 10. And let me tell you that we're posting the scriptures that we're using for Shabbat now on MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com. So that's a website that we've set up and we're gonna be developing that as a way of enriching and supplementing the podcast and the teaching and the, uh, the learning resources that we're providing to people, not just in the congregation, but all over the world. And that website will feed to our Twitter account and to all of our Facebook accounts. And this way, whatever your preferred way of staying connected, you can find resources. There are many people in the congregation who are digital, but they don't use Facebook, for instance, who say, I don't, I don't access anything that you put on Facebook, and this will enable us to provide uh, many more resources. So right now, you could go to MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com, and you'd see all the scriptures. There's a posting for all the scriptures, and I'm not sure if we'll get through all of them, but at least you have uh, everything all in one place, and it's a great resource. I want to start with Genesis 28, which describes an extraordinary dream that uh, Jacob has that's a spiritual turning point for him because of how he experiences the presence of God. Let's read it. And, and I'll be reading, in this case, from um, David Stern's Jewish New Testament and Complete Jewish Bible translations. So this is from his Complete Jewish Bible for the uh, Torah portion. It says, Yaakov went out from Beersheba, and he traveled toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed the night there because the sun had set. He took a stone from the place, put it under his head, and lay down there to sleep. He dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of Adonai were going up and down on it. Now let me pause and just make a comment. It's an interesting order. They, they're going up and down, which indicates that in a sense the angels were there on the earth doing angel things. But Jacob had not been 
aware of it. Now he's seeing something. He's seeing something in a dream that's not just a regular dream. It's a spiritual dream of great import and a way that God is communicating to Jacob about who he is, what he does, and how he plans to work in his life. It goes on. Then suddenly, this is very interesting, suddenly Adonai was standing there next to him. This is still the dream as I understand it. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of Avraham, your father, and the God of Yitzchak. The land on which you're lying I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is a statement of connection between Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. The promise and the covenant that God has made originally with Abraham and now extending into further generations. And it's powerful. Now, it's also important that we won't go into it today. It's important that the scripture says the Lord was standing next to Jacob. Because it indicates that Jacob understood God could be present in the material world. And that's an important insight of Torah, and it's often uh, lost in, in modern rabbinic Judaism, the presence of God being true presence. And then verse 15. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Yaakov awoke from his sleep and he said, truly Adonai is in this place and I didn't know it. That's really an important insight I think that each of us can take advantage of. God can be with us and we don't even know it. God can be somewhere where we don't think he should be or could be. In your most difficult situations, you might think that God can't even be here. You might feel like you're in it all by yourself, and yet here Jacob is. He's, um, he's leaving a place of conflict, in a sense, and he's going to a place of uncertainty. But a before he even gets very far, the Lord reveals to him, I am here with you. I'm not just the God of heaven, I'm God here right now. Now what's interesting to me about this, as I think about it, it reminds me in a certain way of the way that God revealed himself to Moses. Moses, of course, comes much later. But remember, Moses was out doing his business in taking care of the sheep, and he saw this curiosity. It was a bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And because it was strange, because he was curious, he approached. There was no sense of prayer. There was no spiritual alertness. It was just odd. Moses goes and he finds out it's not just a burning bush, 
but it's a manifestation of the presence of God right there. And do you remember what the Lord said to Moses? Take your shoes off. This is a holy place. You just thought it was a strange place. Sometimes the Lord can use absolutely normal or strange circumstances to reveal to us who he is so that we can see God is with us in the strangest and the most normal of situations. He's not just with us when we gather together in a, in a religious place or a holy place, but you can be just doing what you should be doing with no intention of finding God, and God can decide to find you. And when he does, what's really important is that you respond and that you take note, especially if the Lord says something serious to you, take it seriously. So Yaakov wakes up and he says, whoa, truly Adonai is in this place and I didn't know it. And then let's go to verse 20. Yaakov took this vow. If God will be with me and will guard me on this road that I'm traveling, giving me bread to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return to my father's house in peace, then Adonai will truly be my God. And this stone which I've set up as a standing stone will be God's house, and of everything you give me, I will faithfully return one-tenth to you. Very interesting expression. So the Lord says, look, I'm with you, and I'll guard you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back into this land. I want, I want to look at those details a little bit, because they have import for, for all of us. When the Lord said, I'm with you, he's also saying, I'm with you now, but I'm going to be with you tomorrow as well. I'm going to be with you as you move forward on this journey. And I am going with you, I'm going alongside you. So I'm going to keep you company. I'll be there with you through all of this. Sometimes we think that God will be with us when we get to a certain destination, and somehow we have to get there. Sometimes the journey seems quite challenging. But it's much more interesting when you realize God is with you on the journey, not just at the destination. When the Lord says, I'm with you, it also indicates that he's going before Jacob. He is promising to go before Jacob and to lead him and to open the way to him and to make sure that he stays on the good path that the Lord has so that he doesn't get distracted or end up in the wrong destination so that he doesn't get lost or he doesn't get waylaid so that he doesn't get into some kind of trouble that would keep him from accomplishing what God has in mind for him. And then I love the statement, I will guard you. You could translate that, I'll, I'll watch over you or I'll keep you or I'll protect you, but I love this idea of guarding because it implies um, every direction of presence. When the Lord says, I'll guard you, it, it reminds me of what he said to Abraham. He said, I am your shield, so I'm your protection, my gain, and I'm your great reward. And the scripture also talks about how God is a rear guard to us. 
Not only is he an advance scout, if you will, not only is he like a protection detail around us, not only is he a shield, but he's coming up from the rear as well, making sure that we're not attacked from behind. When he says, I will guard you, it's important to have all of that in mind because it gives a, a real sense of confidence. This is the greatest protection detail you could ever have assigned to you, the Lord himself. But it also reminds me of something. It's, it's expressed in Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. It says this, all these blessings will come upon you and they will overtake you. Say this one word with me, overtake. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. That promise is so incredible. It, it, it's something like this. You're going in your direction, doing what you should be doing because you're obeying the Lord. And the blessings of God are gonna chase you and then they're gonna overtake you. It's not that you have to always try to hunt them down, because God has in mind to overtake you, to come from behind. It's a simple concept in Hebrew, to come from behind and then to come upon you. Now some people um, lose sight of God's intentions and they think they've gotta bless themselves rather than be a blessing to others. And because of that, they're not really aware that God has a plan to bless us as we're living a life of faithfulness with him. And he even will send blessings to overtake us. How many of you could use some of those blessings right now? God hunting you down, if you will. Maybe hunting is not the right word. Overtaking you, chasing you, speeding up from behind coming from somewhere that seems invisible and then suddenly being right there with you. Well, that's what he's promising to do. I think it's, it's so incredible how God works that way. Jacob says, I didn't know that God was in this place. And as I'm thinking about this, I connect it to what's coming up in the rest of the Torah portion. If you haven't read the Torah portion this week, you really should. It's filled with lots of detail. And certain big events and big transactions are covered with the most economical amount of words you could possibly imagine. Years are condensed sometimes. Yeah, like seven years are condensed into a few sentences. This is maybe one of the most romantic Torah portions in the scriptures. At one moment where Jacob has fallen in love with, with Rachel, with Rachel, and in order to um, secure the blessings of, of Rachel's father, um, he commits to working, Jacob commits to working for seven years for her. And it says he worked, and those seven years were like a day for him. And that is so romantic, don't you think? I mean, ladies, wouldn't you like your guy to feel that way? I would give seven years uh, just for the opportunity to start being married to you. 
And, and those words are condensed. It's, it's really compacted. But then we find out it's not that easy because Laban or Levan, the, the father here, um, is, I don't know how to describe him. I was trying to think of the best word. Um, and the best thing I could come up with is shenanigans. That was the nicest thing I could say. Shenanigans is one of those words you don't get to use all the time. But it's a great word, isn't it? And it, it, it means, among other things, like deceit and trickery and, and misleading and uh, all sorts of things like that. And the shenanigan that, that uh, Levon Laban commits on the wedding day for um, Jacob is, is really shocking because he substitutes his other daughter uh, for Rachel, puts a veil on her, and sure enough, Jacob unwittingly is married to her and then consummates their marriage and in daylight discovers who she really is. Oops. And Laban's explanation is, yeah, we couldn't have it any other way because the older sister's got to be married first around here. That's the rule around here. So, yeah, you can have the other one now, but you got to work for her too. Yeah, well, I already worked seven years. Yeah, but it was like a day. <laughs> Think about that situation. I actually think in this passage, the Lord is showing that that old tribal idea of one guy having many wives is already a broken idea. <laughs> and that um, it's not so pleasant, it's not so easy. It produces a lot of rivalries and a lot of frustration and brokenheartedness. And so if, if, you, if you're fantasizing, guys, oh, if I only lived in those days, you should read carefully the Torah portion and see the conflict and the rivalry that develops and the disappointment and the sorrows and so forth. But here's what I noticed as I was going through this. Jacob has really one plan. He wants a wife. He wants to get married. That's his idea. God knows that, he's, that Jacob is, is marrying into a tricky family. Is that a good way of putting it? Very tricky. When you get married, you not only marry the person, you marry their whole family tree. Jacob just wanted a wife. And then he ends up with two wives. But because of all the issues around fertility and, and conception and problem pregnancies and stuff like this, the wives make it even more complicated. They start handing over their servants to Jacob and saying, um, make a baby with her. And we'll count it like it's mine. So you end up with this crazy blended family 
that Jacob never would have wanted for himself. He never would have planned this. He fell in love with Rachel. She was tenderhearted and she was beautiful. And it was really love at first sight, in a sense. But he grew in love for her, and he just wanted to be married to her, but he got this whole crazy family, too. And then not only did he get a crazy family, he then created a crazy family. So as you're reading about this, you can either say, wow, everything's out of control. But remember one thing that God had said, I'm with you. Now, most of us have in mind that when things are going well and God is with us, they're pretty neat and they're convenient, they're well thought out and well organized. How many, how many of us are those kinds of type A personalities that like things neat and organized and you like your goals accomplished and you like the plan fulfilled and you're orderly, right? And many of us would look at the episodes we read about here and we would say, this is anything but a blessing. But in fact, there's something else going on. And it is chaotic, it is kind of crazy. But God is bringing forth not one happy married couple, that's not what his plan seemed to be, but he's bringing forth a nation made up of many tribes, 12 tribes, which is complex, a complex nation is coming forward. Remember what had happened when Rebecca was so distraught and she couldn't get pregnant and then finally she gets pregnant and she thinks this is like the best thing and she's having like such a difficult pregnancy that she doesn't think she can survive and she cries out to God, um, I can't take it, I can't live under this pain. What's going on? And the Lord says, oh, yeah, there are two nations inside of you and they're, they're battling with each other and they're gonna battle with each other and the older one's gonna serve the younger and that's what I'm doing. You see, sometimes we are in pursuit of the clean and the organized and the normal and the orderly and the ideal, right? And we evaluate God's blessing by him meeting those standards. You're a good God, it should be convenient. You're a good God, it should be respectable. But God often works in upside down ways or he takes upside down situations and people and he works with them and then he turns them right side up. But sometimes the turning is only later. It's not in the middle and it's not even in the end. It can be after another generation or two or three or four has passed. So things can be challenging. Things can be difficult, and God can be with you. Remember what God had said to Jacob, I am with you, I will guard you, and I will stay with you until I fulfilled everything, including bringing you back home. So from that we can conclude, God was with Jacob through this craziness. I think about how we are and how we think and the ways we like things to be. We like things, as I said, 
in, in nice condition. But God wasn't working in that way. But he knew what it took to bring forth a nation made up of many tribes. He knew what it took. God put this together, if you will, using crazy human ingredients and a crazy process. But he brought forth something this way that was not what Jacob had expected. It's not what he had hoped for. It's not even what he wanted, but it was, in fact, what God had in mind. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't making a bunch of mistakes. He was just... If, are, are there any chemists in the room? Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But do any of you remember as your youth when you got a hold of some chemicals or a chemistry set and you did things with it, you know, that were probably dangerous? Yeah, because yeah, boys like to do that, right? Well, the Lord knows how to do crazy chemistry experiments with humankind and to bring forth at the end something absolutely amazing, which is what he was doing. So God is working in these incredible ways. He's, he's working in a difficult, most difficult situation, but he's bringing forth something that Jacob didn't have in mind, but God had in mind. And this is one of the secrets to life, really. That God has in mind things that you don't have in mind. That God has end results that you may never have thought of. And thus you can't plan for, and in fact you may not even be able to recognize them unless the Lord opens your eyes to see, to, to understand and to really feel and to discern what's going on. How many of you have had this experience of being in crazy situations or a crazy season of life? And you, you just wonder, where is God? Well, I can tell you, if you've been through enough of those seasons, you get to the end of a season, you say, ah, there he was. I'm so surprised. Do you remember that dream that Jacob had? He wakes up and says, ha, God was here. I didn't even know it. How about that? God was here. I didn't even know it. God was with me in this difficult situation, and I didn't even know it. I didn't realize it. I was unaware of it. God brings forth things in this way that are great surprises. They defy the wisdom that we all appreciate. They are abnormal in a sense. Extraordinary is a nicer way of putting it, but abnormal is an objective way. They're just odd the way God works and the situations that he uses. And so I'm not encouraging you to go after things that are odd. I'm encouraging you to say, 
If I'm in the middle of an odd situation or a difficult situation, it doesn't mean that God is not here or that he doesn't want to help me. And it may mean that he wants to do something that I had not anticipated. Now, this, this reminds me of something. <clears throat> My father, Bert Levine, had a, had a favorite word that, that he would use. Some days he'd come home from work and he would say, it was, it was serendipity today. How many of you use that word on a regular basis? Serendipity. My father used it. Now, serendipity is an interesting word. It's, he would use it, I think, in a pretty technically precise way because the, the actual definition of serendipity is, here's one, the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happier, beneficial way. That's one definition of serendipity, and when things would happen that he hadn't expected, when some good would come his way that was totally unanticipated, when he was minding his own business, if you will, and suddenly something wonderful happened, he would come back to us and say, it was serendipity. It's a, it's a wonderful word. So I was looking up this, this word. It, it, it entered the English language, apparently, in 1754. It was coined by a, a writer, Horace Walpole, uh, who, who found some connection to this fairy tale called The Three Princes of Serendip. And the heroes were always making discoveries by accident, or sometimes by wisdom, of things that they weren't in quest of. Now, here's, that's the key idea. They weren't in quest of this thing, of this good thing that they came upon. They were, in, they were searching for something else, but to their surprise and to their delight, this great other thing happened. And as I was thinking about Jacob in this Torah portion, I was thinking, it really was serendipity. All he wanted was to find a woman and get married and have a nice, happy life. It didn't go quite like that. But in pursuit of that, he came upon something else, which is the covenantal plans of God for human history. And God was not just trying to, to give one couple a happy marriage. He was trying to raise up a nation that was made up of tribes that had strengths. Each tribe would have different strengths. And you know this, um, human nature, human nature doesn't rejoice in other people's strengths. Think about Cain and Abel, because that gives you the, like the prototype for it. Cain is not rejoicing that Abel is uh, using his strengths and having fellowship with God. Instead, he's jealous, right? He's angry. And how does he deal with that? He eliminates the one who's doing better than him. That's human nature, unfortunately. And so we see something. Each of these tribes has different strengths, and you, you see that uh, indicated prophetically in the names that they're given, 
but later on in, in the ways that they emerge, both as individuals, as fathers, as tribes, and then uh, even beyond that, you know, generations down the road. And the strengths of one are often in competition with the strengths of the other and jealousies and rivalries and, and shenanigans and manipulations and evil doings emerge because that's what happens until people get redeemed. And even then, we have to learn how to rejoice in someone else's strength and not feel threatened by or have a need to undermine their strength. Well, serendipity is a funny word. I love the sound of it. But I was thinking about how God works in unexpected ways. He rewards us simply because we love him, we trust him, and we follow him. It's not only because we think he exists, but we're, we're told in Hebrews 11 that we actually please God when we know that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's a rewarder of those. And the rewards he gives are sometimes surprising and unexpected. Now, I was connecting all of that with what's happening this weekend because this weekend is the 12th anniversary of our podcasting. And our podcasting is also serendipity. The origins of it are something you, you may have heard about or may not, but the origins really go back to uh, a time a little over 12 years ago when Philip Feller moved from the congregation down to South Florida, and he wanted to, uh, to get all of the sermons each week and so he would send a check every month so that we would send him CDs of all of the messages that we had, and that way he could stay in touch with us. However, we weren't able to pull it off. And so continually we were failing to send out the CDs when they should be. He was very gracious, though. And one day he came back to synagogue, and he had this little electronic device we'd never seen before. It was called an iPod and he was the first one who had one of those tiny little iPods. And he told us about it, and then he said, you know what you should do? You should, um, instead of sending me CDs, you should, you should post these messages as podcasts. And we said, what's a podcast? Because we didn't know. Well, through that process, we did follow the instructions, and there were people who got uh, involved in learning the technical uh, means to do it and have been faithful. There's been a, a great team of people who have been involved in this over the years. And we had to, we, the, the rules are you have to post on iTunes, you know, in some category. So the question was given to me, what category? And I said, what Jewish categories are there? There was one. We said, okay, that one. So we posted it in the Jewish category, Judaism, in uh, iTunes, for one reason, so that Phil could get access to the messages because we were having difficulty in the office. So it wasn't that we had any vision, it's we were trying to, to deliver something that we were failing at. 
We had no grand plan. We had an awkward situation that we were trying to solve. And so for the sake of Philip, we put these digital messages on the internet so that he could get them because we were failing to make CDs. Now, 12 years later, this weekend, I think tomorrow is the 12th anniversary, we are almost at the 10 million mark for feeds and downloads for this podcast. And we've been reaching people in more than 100 countries and connecting with them, and for many of them, providing a lifeline. Now, the reason this connects to me is it was serendipity what's happened. What happens here in our congregation on Friday and on Saturday actually multiplies and goes to the far corners of the world to be a blessing to uncountable numbers of people. It's an amazing thing. Some of you, um, before you came to the congregation, you were listening to the podcast. Some have, um, have listened for years before they come to Beth Israel. We have people who have ended up moving to Jacksonville, and the podcast was their first way of connecting to us. And it's not only been a blessing to uh, people all over the world, it's been a blessing to our congregation here. It's a way of us staying connected and reaching out and, and having a great impact, but it's serendipity. Do you, do you see that? And I, I, I gave a message to rabbis about this, about um, how strategic planning is not all that it's made out to be. That sometimes, yeah, we plan, we try to do our best in execution, but sometimes you're, you're in pursuit of something and God has a whole other idea in mind and it's far beyond what you could have imagined. So in approximately 30 days, we will cross the 10 million mark, which is really amazing, isn't it, Paul? It's truly amazing. And thank you, Paul, for doing your part and being faithful over these years. I am really so grateful to the people who have, like Paul, been involved in, in recording and producing and, and posting the podcasts. And, and for all those who, who have served in this way, it's really important to understand you are, you and we together are reaching people both locally and internationally. More than 100 countries, 10 million. In, in fact, the podcast is one of the top Jewish podcasts in America. In fact, in, in the world. And we're consistently in the top 10 uh, Jewish, podcasts, Jewish podcasts in America. And sometimes, number one, two, or three. It's truly amazing. How did it happen? Well, it happened because we didn't know what we were doing with CDs. <laughs> it happened because we tried really hard to get good at making CDs, and we couldn't do it faithfully and consistently, but we didn't give up. But I like to say, imagine if we had been successful. 
we could have distributed between five and 10 CDs every week, and that would have been the limit of what we did. We could be up to, yeah, 20 on a good week. And we go, wow, 20 CDs this week. Some rabbis have said, well, how do you do it? Because I want to do the same thing. <laughs> Start with a really bad plan. How about that? But be faithful. We've worked together. We've been faithful on this. We've, we've uh, developed this. And we want to continue to develop this. So between now and 30, 31 days from now, that's the anticipated date of the 10 million mark, we want to upgrade and strengthen uh, the, the resources we have available to do uh, more resources on the internet, more written materials, more downloadables, more audio and video and multimedia things. We want to launch that, and then we just want to keep developing it. And we'll see where it goes, but I think it'll be a blessing to people. It'll expand uh, in ways that only God could imagine. Well, I want, to encourage, I want to encourage you, no matter what kind of challenges you're facing, keep in mind that God does want to bless you and he wants, if you're faithful to him, he wants to do such things that you can't even imagine, that go beyond your competencies, that go beyond your experiences, that go beyond what you think or really deserve. He wants to use you in ways that are amazing. However, what's the cost? The cost is to stay with him on this uh, bumpy journey uh, through these crazy times that you will go through and to recognize he's with us even with our crazy families, with our crazy people, with our crazy situations. He is with us and he will bring through all of these experiences, he'll bring fruit that you couldn't even imagine that glorifies him, not us, but him. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for working in amazing ways. Thank you for doing more than we could ask or imagine. Thank you, Lord, that you call things that are not as though they were. And that you see the beginning and the end and the middle and you know how to work with us. Thank you, Lord, for your vision. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for sharing with us your word that becomes faith when it reaches our hearts and our minds. And when it comes into our lives and leads us and directs us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Yeshua who made all this possible for us. Who redeems us who saves us, who causes us to be transformed into new creations and to have a new life that really is fitting and proper for you. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise?
And if you're standing by yourself, move around so you're not. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'era Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and the Lord protect you and guard you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.